everybody, and welcome to another edition, another contribution here, another episode of Network Classics here on Prime Time with Sean Mooney. I always enjoy doing WWF Superstars because if uh, you watch back in the 80s, uh, I was uh, <laughs> that was pretty much my work, man. I uh, was doing the event center. And it would appear three times uh, throughout the program, and also Wrestling Challenge, but Superstars was certainly a, a big part of it, and the big seller for the WWF at the time. And uh, this is where they would promote all their talent, all the superstars, all the roster. And if you were tuning in to see two others, you know, another superstar, two superstars in the ring at the same time, or four if it was a tag team match, uh, it wasn't going to happen. You might see the tag team, you might see uh, one of your favorites in singles competition, but uh, pretty much in every case, they were just destroying uh, enhancement talent. Uh, I'll say it nicely because a lot of times they were jobbers. And you know, I have mentioned this before, there is a difference where we had people like, uh, you know, uh, uh, people like Steve Lombardi uh, uh, who were, you know, enhancement talent. Barry Horowitz was another example, but then they had other guys that they just brought in who were local talent, probably from the local wrestling schools, who wanted an opportunity to get on television, hoping maybe they might get an opportunity to uh, get a shot. Uh, You know, Vince might take a look at him or one of the producers or someone like Pat Patterson would say, hey, that guy's got a good look. Um, and they would, uh, you know, get a chance to make it in the WWF. And if, uh, at, at the very least, uh, they had, uh, they got to be on television in the ring with one of these uh, superstars, and it made a great story when they were hanging out with their friends. But uh, that's what pretty much what you got with uh, uh, WWF superstars, and it was a big commercial. And this this episode is uh, is uh, no exception. <laughs> Just put it that way. So let me take you back to 1992. If you remember where the WWF was, and this was the summer of uh, 92, which uh, you know was my favorite SummerSlam ever, uh, took place in England, uh, Wembley Stadium. But there was a lot happening with the WWF at the time, and Vince was still promoting. God, he was just pushing Ico Pro and the WBF, and these shows were just littered with references and promos and uh, you know when they did play by play they made reference to it and uh, no doubt you're going to uh, hear these uh, and see uh, a lot of this in this show Um, also it it, it, it just when I look back at this uh, it was a really challenging time that's a kind word to say what was happening with the World Wrestling Federation as far as creativeness and uh, blogofdoom.com, uh, where we get a lot of our notes on these shows, has a note down at the bottom of this. They always do these final thoughts. And uh, uh, they obviously, uh, uh, they didn't, uh, the person who reviewed the show wasn't uh, real pleased with what they did in this program. And, and offers, uh, you know, something that may have been related to it. The fact that Pat Patterson was on hiatus. If uh, you remember, there were accusations uh, within the company and uh, by another employee there. And uh, Pat uh, stepped aside for a while until it, you know everything cleared out. He would come back eventually. I think he was out of maybe a year. But if you were with the company or if you know professional wrestling, uh, oftentimes uh, Pat Patterson gets a lot of credit for uh, being the booker of that company and really 
uh, if he didn't come up with these ideas, he knew how to refine them. If Vince had an idea for somebody or Bruce or somebody else, uh, one of the producers had an idea that uh, Pat would be able to refine them, make them work, come up with finishes that really helped not only sell the characters, but would help push along storylines. So uh, maybe that had something to do with it. But again, as I've mentioned many times, these shows were not necessarily uh, going to push along storylines, except the fact they would have, you know, the guys come in and do these promos if uh, another superstar was in the ring or that guy who was in the ring would do a promo to push a storyline. But it wasn't like they would have these guys going against each other and the storyline would move along. So that may have had something to do with it, but most of the time these just weren't great shows for that uh, at all. So uh, as we're going to see, and it, and it starts right out uh, with, uh, you know, you going, oh my God, I uh, I was reminded of this and I know that, I know that this was going on then, but every time I see it, I just go, oh, how in the world did this ever happen? Unless Vince really was out, if there was something going, uh, you know, underlying in all this and Vince was upset with the, the Legion of Doom or what? You know, Vince had these, sometimes he'd get these wild hairs and he would come up with these unbelievable ideas of thinking that it might put these guys over or it just he wanted to see it because he just thought it would be funny for his own amusement. I don't know. But you got uh, Paul Eller- Ellering, who was uh, had been associated with the Road Warriors and, uh, you know, they had a strong connection. And he's with the WWF at the time and is their, uh, you know, quote, manager. And, uh, you know, he was he was a fierce figure. He was an intense guy. And they come up with this idea, and I'm sure it was all Vince-driven, because I can't imagine anybody uh, having taken this seriously in any other fashion or any other way. But they got the uh, Rocco the the dummy with Ellering, that they've got him carrying around this dummy. And you're like, what the F? I mean, what? How does this make sense in any stretch? Uh, maybe if you had some silly character, you know, maybe a psycho guy who you know, talk through the dummy. I mean, you could almost buy that them working on that, but you've got the Legion of Doom, the, you know, two biggest badasses in wrestling, not just in the WWF. These guys are just badass, kick the shit out of people, uh, you know, destroy them. You've got Ellering. And then they bring out this, this dummy to ringside. And, uh, and, and it would go on. Remember it, that, uh, that they had it at SummerSlam 92 that I mentioned. I mean, it was, that was my favorite SummerSlam, but, uh, but that wasn't for what, that wasn't the re- one of the reasons. And I think as the story goes that, uh, Rocco ended up in a trash can, I think in the UK and in, in England somewhere never to be seen again. But here we've got him in the show as we start this thing out. And it's like, my, my God, did, did it ever work for a second? Was there anything amusing about it? Did there anything that fit with who these guys were as characters? And all it could possibly do in my eyes was, you know, make them look silly. And as I said, I don't know. I don't remember what there was, if there was a contract thing or Vince was upset with something. I don't know. Who, who knows? But this actually happened. This was part of what was happening there. <laughs> like, I, it's it's just it, it is astounding to me to look at it, that they actually let this happen, and then they could do this with a straight face that they could try and sell. Uh, and we have seen uh, through the years here people given gimmicks where it's they're just absolutely ridiculous. 
and and somehow people make it work. I mean, uh, uh, you know, uh, Dusty Rhodes, of course, with uh, you know, with the the whole polka dots thing, and uh, he, he made that work. He he, he put it over. Uh, many others had this, but but the fact that they had the dummy in this, it didn't. It never it never worked. And uh, and so uh, that's that's part of the show that you're going to see. Uh, <laughs> I, I I'm just I can't wait to get to it because it's it's pretty funny. But Vince really just uh, I don't know what his idea was just to make the guys look like assholes. I I, I don't I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, we're going to get more shilling uh, for Ico Pro as I mentioned. This is when they're really pushing it. I don't know what the financials were at this point, but you know uh, Vince is into IcoPro for, for millions at this point, uh, trying to make this work, and they're just throwing that out there with uh, WBF, and, and they're using the superstars to try and cross-promote, and it just uh, it never it never worked. So uh, you'll hear from Gene on that. Um, Shawn Michaels with Sensational Sherry makes an appearance here, and this is the whole thing of, you know, he's enamored with himself, with uh you know uh, very full of himself and uh, uh sensational sherry's his sidekick here who just adores uh sean um and and he they carry a mirror around which uh they should have realized at that point it, that that part that gimmick part didn't work but remember the narcissist would come along with lex luger not too much later in 93 so the mirror act came out earlier before they had the narcissist. Remember, the narcissist would come out to ringside and they had the big full-length mirror that he uh, would be able to adore himself. Uh, another gimmick that never worked either. Uh, boy, did they try. And uh, we've got Shawn Michaels in here in a uh, destruction match against uh, a guy named Chico Martinez. And uh, that's you can imagine how that ends. We're going to get a chance to see Undertaker with Paul Bearer which uh, Undertaker really coming into his own at this point, uh, really understanding the character. Paul Bearer, of course, helped uh, increase that. He was a a very big part of it. And I thought uh, early on, you know, he was uh, an essential part to really uh, allow, uh, you know, Mark to develop. And you had somebody, I mean, uh, Paul Bearer could speak and was as creepy as all hell. Uh, And he had the urn and that whole thing going on. So... Also, we are going to see an appearance here by Tito Santana uh, as they had him selling the El Matador gimmick with the, the cape and the whole Matador's outfit. Uh, he would uh, take on uh, Dwayne Gill. And uh, Dwayne, as I uh, have said before, he, he, you know, he, was, he was somebody who really could uh, work in the ring. And uh, he was great. He was, uh, you know... Somebody who could, uh, you know, get it done when they needed him to go over there and put somebody over. And so he's going to uh, be a part of this. Gene Okerlund will make an, another appearance. But this is in the arena as he uh, brings on Kamala, Kimchi, and Harvey Whippleman as uh, they uh, try and uh, get this, uh, you know, I don't know what the hell they were selling back then. They would just wheel Kamala out. And he never seemed to really have a, a big push. So, uh, you know, they, uh, you know, I, get, I think they had something going with Berserker, and he's going to come out and do something as well. Uh, the Dublin Destroyer versus Tatanka. Didn't it seem like that, uh, that, <laughs> that episode, uh, I mean, that whole, that whole storyline between Tatanka and Martel is like, my God, how long did it go on? 
may, you know, I, I don't know. It seemed maybe uh, three years. I, <laughs> it was it was really I'm like, come on. And uh, and then also we get to see uh, Nails. Now, I have talked about Nails before and how I felt that he he was just such an intense character. I really think if things hadn't gone south with him and Vince, that he could have lasted a long time. Uh, you, you could have gone a lot farther than, you know, just him going up against the big boss man. Uh, this is the guy who was a criminal. So he could commit crimes all throughout the WWF, uh, but it would be short-lived. But the, the times that he did appear in the ring, I think that uh, went over you know pretty damn well. I think he scared the crap out of people. But uh, unfortunately, it, it never got too far uh, with, with Nails. But you're going to see him in this episode of Superstars. And, uh, of course, we've got Money, Inc. with Jimmy Hart at the time. You've got Mike Rotunda and uh, Ted DiBiase, IRS, and the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, uh, uh, coming out. And, uh, you know, uh, however long that that union lasted, it, it, uh, it was you know, good for what it was. It was something that they had uh, you know, had to do something now with with uh, Ted. They still valued him very much as a talent, but that whole uh, you know series, that whole run of him with Virgil uh, had gone, uh, you know, had ended, and uh, so they were still figuring out what to do with Ted, and so they paired, paired him up with IRS, and you know, which of course made sense as they became Money Inc. So there you have it. Uh, we're going to see. Uh, Razor Ramon, who had still at this point, the WWF hadn't even appeared in the ring yet. Uh, Scott Hall had not, but they had put together these really great vignettes. And I think that the character was just so strong right out, right from the beginning that uh, by the time he ended up stepping into the ring, he already had massive heat. And uh, the first time he stepped into an arena when you would actually be able to see it, it was very evident that uh, that that uh, their their promotion on him their their push to uh, not only get people to uh, identify this character but also uh, make people just despise him it worked really well and they've got a you know pretty good uh, vignette in this one that you're you're going to see so uh, you know there you have it that's what we got coming up here uh, I'll, you know, as, as usual, sometimes it's, uh, you know, it's so bad, it's good. And this is going to be one of those episodes, but it, it, it's really entertaining. So <laughs> I think you're going to enjoy it. If you haven't done so yet, uh, you know what to do. You need to go to, uh, in ring and then, uh, go down to featured. And then you're going to scroll over to WWF, uh, superstars, click on that and then go to 1992. Uh, with that pull down there, that drop down, and then you want to find July 11th, 1992, uh, the episode of WWF Superstars, July 11th, 1992, from Cops Coliseum in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, out of the country for this one. Okay, so we're going to do a pause here. If uh, you, many of you may be queued up, others may not, but we're going to give you that little chance here to get queued up. So uh, let's pause, okay? Pause right now. Alrighty, that means that you're ready if uh, we're rolling again here. So uh, you're going to be all queued up and we are going to uh, roll into this episode of WWF Superstars from Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Oh, oh, and I should mention that, uh, you know, uh, 
uh, Vince loved the toilet humor, and uh, we start this show right off the bat because guess what? It is uh, a nude, National Nude Day, and you know that Vince loved that. Okay, so here we go. Three, two, one, play. And here we go with that very recognizable open, the Hulkster right off the bat, Boss Man, Natural Disasters, Mountie, there's Paul Ellering, Shawn Michaels, Macho Man, Roddy. Well, you know, you've seen them all. But they get everybody in. Right there, Hacksaw makes an appearance, Davy Boy. We can see a couple of shots here of Owen Hart as uh, that anniversary of his death just passed, unfortunately. And here we go to WWF Superstars, National Nude Days. You know, Vince is loving that. And Mr. Perfect is his co-host. So uh, let's get to the many puns on uh, National Nude Day. Oh, Big Boss Man. The Naked Truth. Got there's one. You've been exposed. There's two. There's three stripped. Bear. See? Bear truth. Got them all in there in a very short period of time. Legion of Doom. Nails. Yeah, but at the time, we got Money Inc. with the belts, right? So they are giving them a push. And here we go, the two badasses. They are so bad. They just destroy people. That's just, oh, look at them. They are amazing. And what the F? They got a dummy. Yeah, the worst ever. And, and you know, we've talked to Joe before, Joe Laurinaitis, and, and he talked about how much they hated that effing dummy. Uh, yeah, he's just a, a badass dummy. What is he? He's like... So the greaser look or yeah, even uh Carrie Davis there. Wonder what the hell. He looks kinda like uh Eric Bischoff a little bit, doesn't he? I don't know if that was the design. And they go right to work here. And, uh, yeah, that's uh, Carrie Davis there. That was the era of those badass haircuts. And (laughs) he even did the voice. Oh, my God. And Vince just cackling. Oh, my God. How do you connect this, though? I mean, it just makes no sense. Like I said, that... You know, I could see if they had a, you know, like they did with with Al Snow with the head, you know, and he's a psycho. And maybe this guy's, you know, into the dummy and that's the only way he communicates. I don't know. But this, like, what, what the hell? I mean, Paul Ellering must have been like, really? I got to actually talk for this thing? Oh, my God. All right. Oh, 
Barry Hardy getting a little a little bold there. Oh God. Let's keep taking those shots. There's that body slam, power slam by Animal. Comes Hawk. This is uh you gotta feel this is gonna be over real soon here. Slingshots him in there. Hardy getting destroyed. And up goes. There he goes, up and over. Another one in the books for LOD. How many shots do we have to see of that dummy? I don't know what the story was. Is uh, Joey Morella indications the uh, winners of this matchup? Legion of Doom and oh my God! Oh my God! He's a survivor. As we go back here, and uh, once again, anytime you get a chance to see this finishing move of the Legion of Doom, it's it's pretty awesome. And uh, they tell the story of you know where they would tell people just let it happen, and the guys that didn't got got uh, hurt. They landed wrong, or they, it just hurt when you tense up like that. They just said let us let them carry you. Gee, you think this is a commercial right there? They got the products on the desk. As Gene Orkelin. As uh, they talk about uh, the Mountie. The Great American Scream. It's a machine. And that's got, see, you got the little extra box there with a battery. So a little extra big zap for that. We get the effect and... uh, Referees, uh, you know, many times just distracting the Mountie so these guys could get away. But some of them weren't so lucky, and that included Sergeant Slaughter. And Sergeant Slaughter down on the canvas there, victim to the scream machine. And so they got the angle going here with the Sergeant, the Mountie. Yeah. So this, uh, you know, the Mountie I thought went over pretty well, though. Uh, you know, after uh, you you forgot that he was a Rougeau brother, and uh, you know, going on and they and he that that gimmick lasted a long time for Jacques Rougeau. Ray uh, was was uh, you know worrying about. Taking it easy, uh, had invested his money well. He would come back as an announcer, but that certainly didn't require getting, uh, you know, taking a pounding in the ring all the time. As we see, Chico Martinez. As uh, Shawn Michaels makes his way to the ring, uh, followed by Sensational Sherry with a mirror. And we would see this again, uh, not even a year later. When they brought in Lex Luger and uh, he was the narcissist. Which didn't last long before they tried to make him the All-American. (laughs) All-American.
And uh, Sean made a good heel. And uh, in and out of the ring at that time. And uh, not a big favorite in the locker room. And it would only get worse. <laughs> so he would hook up with the click. And uh, man. It wreaked some havoc in the uh, WWE. But things changed after he left and then came back. A great story. A great story, Shawn Michaels. But uh, very adaptable after finding that great success with the Rockers and then that uh, ending. He was he did really well as a singles competitor, and we know how far he would go uh, with it before retiring for a while and then coming back. I don't like uh, Chico Martinez's chances here, and he should have used some spray tan or something. He's got the farmer's tan going here. Uh, Shawn Michaels starts to dismantle him right away. Oh, man. That's like a shin to the chin. Sensational Sherry, one of the pioneers for women in wrestling. Wow, a little offense here for Chico Martinez. And he steps out. He's a little shocked, wants to make sure the kisser's okay. But I have a feeling that old Chico here is going to pay the price for that. Oh, boy. In Sherry's hand, who's going to be the champion? Uh, Yeah. Okay. Little chin music. Shawn Michaels, very pleased with himself. Not much work left to be done here with Chico Martinez. But this is, uh, you know, they would... um, you know, build that uh, feud, actually a real-life feud between Shawn Michaels and Bret the Hitman Hart. And it was uh, part of Shawn Michaels' uh, maturation process, shall we say. Uh, he was he had a lot to learn still in the business and, and how do you con- conduct yourself about, with those in the business. And you had Bret Hart, who came from a wrestling family and uh, how traditions were and how you treated other talent. But Shawn Michaels uh, definitely in uh, the best physical condition of his career at that point, really looking uh, physically fit. He looked good in that mirror. And the British Bulldog, WWF Magazine. Isn't that... uh, Funny to think about then, we used to actually uh, sit down, you couldn't wait for this magazine to come out and flip the pages of the WWF magazine. As we head to the event center. All right. Where did I get those ties? I can't even remember owning those. And who was doing my hair at the time? Boy, Mooney. Ah, boy, I must have uh, talked to Mr. Perfect before this with the puns. Now, you know, I always loved a good pun. Uh, here we go. Let's, uh, let's, shall we? Let's, let's push the Tatanka 
<laughs> episode. Yes, the model, of course. To trend the center. <laughs> Rick Martel, man, though, a, uh, a great worker. Always have wanted to get him on the podcast, uh, and I still, still trying to get him. But uh, he doesn't do much as far as talking about his days in the WWF, but you, know, you never know. Maybe one day we'll cross paths and I'll get him on. As um, we continue to uh, throw to another promo here in the event center, I didn't like that set. I liked it better when we had the the, uh, the green screen behind me. And uh, Virgil, as I uh, talked about before, he had, uh, you know, his run with the Million Dollar Man had pretty much run its course and uh, had a great run with uh, Ted DiBiase. But at some point, you know, enough was enough with it. And they wanted to give him an opportunity. He could work in the ring. I mean, uh, some of his matches weren't awful. And... Uh, they gave him a, a little bit of a push. Uh, didn't last long. But uh, Virgil, always such a you know great physical specimen. And uh, they talk about how he was kind of the go-to guy to get uh, urine for these these uh, tests. <laughs> and it's 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 amazing to think that you know he had that body. I mean, he just he worked it naturally. But uh, Virgil gets in his promo as we wrap up the WWF Superstars version of the Event Center. Count on three appearances through it. As we now get back with uh, Vince McMahon and Mr. Perfect at ringside, uh, well, actually in a recording booth at uh, Hamilton Avenue in Stamford, Connecticut. But uh, uh, we've got a little tribute here to the Macho Man Randy Savage. And tell me what's missing throughout this whole thing. As uh, the pomp and circumstance music plays away, and we get a, a little chance to see, well, we will see a lot of the wardrobe of the Macho Man Randy Savage. Spared no expense on that wardrobe. They should have a museum. They could probably have a museum, and just it would be a collection of all of the outfits that he wore. As we see him coming off uh, many a top turnbuckle to drop that very dangerous elbow. And uh, few have ever done it better. Randy would get some uh, incredible height off that uh, top rope. And a big favorite throughout his entire career. No no question about it. Uh, Idea here, though, is, you know, why are they doing a special tribute to Randy Savage? They're starting to phase him out. No, it was a tribute, of course. He was still with the WWF and uh, well-known as the champion. But did you notice Elizabeth was missing? There was no shots of Elizabeth in there. And uh, that's because they weren't together. As the Undertaker comes out to the ring, 
with his manager, Paul Bearer, to face Bruce Mitchell. And, uh, you know, they got a shot of this Bruce Mitchell guy. I always thought that whenever, especially for these these shows, that the, the enhancement talent didn't, you know, you don't want to oversell it, but they should look really concerned, you know. Not that, you know, like this guy's, well, he's got kind of off here, but they get that one shot at the beginning. He's like, yeah, yeah, I got this. Yeah, he's going to be a lot more nervous than that. But Bruce Mitchell, uh, not exactly a physical specimen, shall we say. Uh, And he's got some height, no question about it, but uh, not much of a physique here. As the Undertaker just uh, sizes him up. And immediately just grabs Mitchell by the throat. And down he goes. Paul Bear, very pleased, is rubbing the urn there. As the referee, uh, Mr. Hebner. might be Earl. The way I could tell the difference uh, is that Dave had a little bit of a punch, and that's the only way I could really tell the difference between them, but maybe this is a period when they're... Well, I think that's Earl. I think that's, uh, Earl. As the Undertaker walks the ropes there, and then big arm across the back of the neck of Bruce Mitchell. And uh, I think we're going to see the tombstone here. Oh, man. That's going to be it for Bruce Mitchell. So he wraps him up. And uh, not much effort required on the part of the Undertaker. As uh, what's the berserker of Mr. Fuji doing? Now, remember at this point, Fuji, known to uh, hurl that salt at opponents, and the berserker. Yeah, as uh, you mentioned, remember they had uh, the berserker come out and uh, attempt to stab. He actually put the sword into the canvas of the ring. So they still got this going on here. Berserker heading into the ring as he's distracted by Mr. Fuji. Berserker trying to go after the Undertaker. And he basically taking the shots, but keeps coming. And he's taking everything Berserker's got. Now he grabs him by the throat. And Fuji coming in for the save here. Smacks him with that cane. And Fuji now in uh, big trouble. Uh, He's uh, lucky he got away. And more salt to the eyes of the Undertaker. Didn't quite have the impact that it had on Paul Bearer, but enough to give Berserker and Fuji a chance to get the hell out of there. 
A victory nonetheless here for The Undertaker. Yeah, see, and at this one we would uh, have, they would tell me what happened. Because, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm very far away at the event center. And it wasn't, it wasn't live. Sorry, didn't mean to break that to you. But uh, I would get notes on what happened. And I could react to it. And uh, we got Skinner. And the whole thing was, you know, make sure Jesus look as disgusting as possible with that tobacco. That chewing tobacco. So, there you go. Oh, boy. That a gator. I always wonder why he would do this promo. Why he didn't choke? Because he he had a, he had the big wad in there too. Ugh. But good thing he was an experienced tobacco chewer, because I think that he couldn't have gotten it through many of those. Uh, okay. Hmm. Okay. Is that what I say? Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So we get to hear from the hitman. I see champ. So I, you know, I just think, uh, you know, uh, there's been many, but I think that Brett was an incredible intercontinental champion. And of course I wasn't there when he was the champion, but I just think uh, he was a great uh, IC champion. I really do. It was a great stage for him. Uh, you know, he uh, got had some great matches with some of the best in the World Wrestling Federation. Uh, I think that, you know, once you're that champion, man, it's there's just so much pressure. And at the time, you remember what was happening in the WWF, and I think he was a great champion for that period of time. But I think his greatest run was when he was... Uh, the Intercontinental Champion with the WWF. As uh, we get out of uh, the second chapter of the Event Center for this show, as we get back in, and Vince uh, talking about uh, just the unbelievable scene we witnessed, the 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 uh, just the the mere audacity of Mr. Fuji and the Berserker to go in and challenge the Undertaker and of course using those dirty tactics uh, Tito Santana on his way to the ring uh, the as the El, uh, El Matador and uh, yeah popular among the ladies of course But this was a you know a fine line, and I uh, I've talked to people over the years about what they did back then, as far as pushing, you know people like Tatanka, and and Tito Santana, and uh, it, it, what they did was you know if they were you know if it was demeaning, and my feeling is that both of them took great pride in their heritage, and when they had them do. These gimmicks, they they did it to the best of their ability, and and uh, did a lot to you know, talk about the the best part of their lives, the best part of their heritage. 
as uh, Tito Santana with the multicolored cape gets it going here with Dwayne Gill. But Tito Santana, just an incredible uh, professional throughout his career and and uh, and very wise uh, during his time with the WWF. Uh, he was in fantastic condition, as you can see there. And it wasn't though, you know, we had him on the show and, and uh, he, you know, he said, I had a good time. I, I certainly did my share of uh, going out and having a good time. But he was really smart about it. He knew what was important. And uh, he always had his family first and saved his money and was able to uh, have his kids become uh, college educated and very successful. And then he became a teacher, which he's been uh, one for, for many, many years. I don't know if he's retired yet, but uh, you know, became an educator. Just a, a great person, really. Just love Tito. And as he continues to work on Dwayne Gill here. And Gill, as I said, he was an enhancement talent, so he would be allowed to uh, mount some offense in there. And a lot of that had to do with not only the fact that they could work, but that they were skilled enough uh, that, you know, these other guys that would come in, the guys didn't know who they were. They didn't know their level of, of talent, and they didn't have time to find out. So even if they had a guy, let's say it was a local guy who didn't work much, they wouldn't let him do anything. They would just have the guys go out there and destroy them. But, destroy them. but somebody like Dwayne Gill, who got a lot of work, uh, had worked with many of these guys, did, did work well. And these guys would, and it made them look better when they would come back with a little adver- from a little adversity. So those matches were better. So it wasn't like seeing these guys, you know, superstars, but uh, at the same time, it's better than just a complete squash match. And Tito Santana, very popular. The crowd fired up. That flying elbow. Paso de Marte. What? Did he say Muerte, maybe? Not Marte? That's Tuesday. All right, Mean Gene Okerlund in the arena for an interview here. Guests. And Harvey Whippleman, he just loaded him up. So we'll see is there, if there's any point to this interview. We will see soon. But uh, Kamala comes out in full regalia. The, uh, he's got the, the, the warrior shield there. This young lady is scared by this. And Whippleman with his doctor's bag. And Kamala with a, a spear, and as uh, as Kim Cheek attempts to con- keep him controlled because he, uh, you know, but I'm uh, interested that they would allow him to have a, a spear in his hands. That's a pretty dangerous weapon there. And Whippleman getting a little handsy here with Gene.
Ah, Gene's ready to mix it up. All right, trying to stir up some heat with Whippleman. And uh, yeah, now they've they sicked uh, Kamala on Gene. And Gene uh, now begging for mercy at this point because, I mean, not only is Kamala a threatening individual, he's got a, a spear in his hands, and Gene scoots. Although, uh, if someone can please explain to me what that was all about, other than who knows. Yeah. And the young, young lady there, a little bit intimidated by Kamala and what she just witnessed as Mr. Perfect makes fun of her. That's nice, Mr. Perfect. That's the poor little girl scared, and you go ahead and do that. And uh, more demeaning uh, language from uh, Vince McMahon as we see the Dublin Destroyer who uh, got, you know, a, a fair amount of work from the WWF as Tatanka appears in the arena. And uh, the Fink and his golden pipes announcing his arrival. Uh, prime beef. But he was quite a specimen. Oh, is that why he's in such great shape? Prime beef. He uses IcoPro. Ay, ay, ay. And so I told you, this. So these shows were pretty much commercials. And this one was no exception. Dublin Destroyer, a, a big human specimen. Uh, that side headlock, headlock and uh, sends Tatanka into the ropes, so he just uses that shoulder to drop the destroyer. Uh, there's a little delay on that, on that chop. Sends him into the ropes. Uh, big. And as we uh, have Tatanka come in, Got some height on that. Another body slam there by Tatanka. As he's still in pursuit of those sacred feathers. It just kept going on and on and on. I don't know if we ever really saw him get him back. Locks him up here. That side suplex by Tatanka. And you've got the destroyer here. You know, the guy uh, knew his way around the ring. That chop takes him off his feet. And Tatanka getting ready to go up. And I think we're going to see that big chop right to the forehead as a the Dublin Destroyer continues to just get taken apart here by Tatanka. 
And there, he hooks a leg. And uh, the Destroyer's had enough. And, uh, you know, it goes along with his name. He's the Dublin Destroyer, and he got destroyed. Satanka racks up another victory here. And how in the world is Tatanka in such tremendous shape? I wonder if Ico Pro has anything to do with it. Drops the destroyer around in his head, and there's the, the big chop coming. I have no idea who that was. Oh, look at is that Ice T? Uh, these are the, the BF, WBF stars. Yeah, it's Gary Stridham. Body stars. You know, uh, if you really know your stuff, you know that I uh, did a few things for WBF body stars. Jumped out of an airplane, went to uh, stunt man school. I don't know what that had to do with bodybuilding, but you know. That show was uh, very interesting. That's a that that's a show in itself. As Nails makes his way out, and uh, Rick Johnson, boy, he's not even getting a chance to get in, introduced before Nails just goes out and goes to work. A big choke. And this guy, uh, you know, spending time in the slammer. Oh, boy. And so his whole character was just supposed to be this brutal individual. Interesting body slam. And so this is uh, supposed to go out there and just destroy Rick Johnson. And that uh, this whole big angle, this is where they started. It was with Boss Man and Nails. And uh, somewhere along the line... Nails had uh, come under the wrath of of uh, the big boss man while incarcerated, and uh, he was out for revenge. And it's a great angle. What a great idea for a storyline here. And Nails was just the man for the job. But as we all know what happened in uh, at an arena in the makeshift office of Vince McMahon, <laughs> Uh, that career wrapped up rather early on. And uh, that's going to be it. Yeah, Rick Johnson, as the bell's been rung. But Nails uh, fairly uh, didn't respond to the end of a match very well. He would continue with the onslaught. And we're not done yet here. Because you know that he had taken the big boss man's nightstick he said, nah, 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 nah. Oh, man. Just keeps up the brutality. And uh, you have to imagine along the way during his time behind bars that he suffered many a beating at the end of a nightstick. So he was he's just uh, getting even. And uh, <laughs> stretcher time. Send the stretcher. And uh, this whole thing was just to build it up, man, just to continue to make his character just as nasty and awful as possible. 
and nobody could control him. They haven't sent the suits out yet. He's got a yeah. He just keeps choking this guy. What a brutal individual. I mean, he was a he was a perfect character for this, right? Wow. Yeah. That dental work. Oh. Ah, your lordship. You are so missed. Of course it was. And it turned out to be one of the best ever. My opinion. Uh Uh-oh. Okay. (laughs) That was funny. And they would always do that. Shawn Michaels has left the building. And here we have the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase, and IRS, Mike Rotundo, as uh, Money, Inc., led by their manager, Jimmy Hart, man of many jackets. And, of course, that uh, annoying bullhorn he would carry around. So you've got uh, them taking on a couple of jobbers here, Bobby Perez and Angel Vega. And IRS. uh, Here in the ring with the microphone, hoping to raise the temperature in the building a bit. Okay. I don't know what that did, but uh, it got the expected booze. And here we go. IRS goes to work. And uh, as you can imagine, this one is not going to last long. I always love this when they had a tag team. You know, and they had to get them both in the ring at some point, And you had to do it, you know, in a minute and a half. And uh, they're being effective here. They've already Ted's in the ring. As they uh, build this storyline between the tag team here, Money, Inc., and the Natural Disasters, Typhoon and Earthquake. Hard into the turnbuckle. Oh, geez, he had to jump for that one. Uh, See, you know, I tell you, hate these guys that would come in, but at least least he took it. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure, I imagine this guy did not have a whole lot of experience. Kick to the back of the head. And Ted DiBiase locks it in. Well, that was quick. And it's over. Money, Inc. Puts another one in the bank. And uh, I always used to like that little gimmick that uh, Ted would put money in the mouth of the loser. A $100 bill? Wow. 
And, uh, God, I can't remember if they were allowed to keep that. Oh, he's got a Canadian. Okay. Uh, Kerwin selfies, there was an inside joke there. Kerwin selfies, if you know the... Oh, we got this vignette. I'm sorry, we got to watch this. But uh, Kerwin selfies, the director, who's still to this day a director of all the WWF and WWE broadcasts over the years. Kuchikas. Oh, gosh. So remember, now he hasn't even been in the ring yet, folks. As a razor and full of, you know, got all the... The... (laughs) I think I'm some kind of a pig with the gold uh, chains. And uh, now you've got to, let's raise the level a little bit more when somebody would dare give Razor Ramon a check. Oh, they're going to, you're going to, you're going to charge me. So he says, uh, you know, you don't want to upset the Razor, Razor Ramon. upset Razor Ramon but let me great vignettes right that was a great vignette some were hit and miss that was a hit I really enjoyed that one uh oh yeah I don't know if you've uh, caught the the latest uh, dark side of the ring but uh, the the latest ish, uh, installment is uh, the last days of Owen Hart, and it is really a, a great documentary. And you really check it out if you can, because uh, it's really really well done. Uh, gives you a lot more of an idea of the kind of person Owen was, and uh, how he's left a hole in a lot of people's lives since his passing. And I think that he had uh, much of a great career still ahead of him. Oh, boy. High energy. And, uh, you know, we would do these between these bridges. And remember, I tell you, these are the generic ones. So they would have to do these that really had no point. They just had to do sell their characters. And this this was always a tough duo here because <laughs> Mr. Fuji just had to be Mr. Fuji. That's that's all there was to it. John Nord here did it well, did Berserker well. 
A little bit of Hacksaw in him, don't you think? I think he stole a little from Hacksaw in his promos. You know what I mean? You see it, right? You see it. Hacksaw had a two-by-four, not a sword. See? I remember my notes here. I stuck to the script. Not much, Sean. Not much left. Okay, we'll just wrap this thing up. Stay with us. All right, next week, little Sergeant Slaughter fan. See the British Bulldog. And the Mountie. I'm the Mountie. Big boss man recovering from that awful beating he had taken from nails. As they remained on a collision course. And Ric Flair, the man. And the main event of SummerSlam, remember, we had two. We had two. And one of the greatest matches ever to take place between the British Bulldog and Bret the Hitman Hart. So, there you have it. Another episode of WWF Superstars here on our Network Classics. I hope you really enjoyed that one. That was, uh, as I said... Sometimes when they're bad, they're really good. And that was uh, at least entertaining. Uh, some of the highlights for me, uh, I don't know if it was the same, uh, right off the bat with the Legion of Doom, along with Paul Ellering, coming out with the dummy. And then actually having, how many shots do they have of that dummy through that through that match? Uh, I don't know, you know, six or seven. And then they actually had Ellering doing uh, a bit with the voice of the of Rocco, the dummy. And uh, I can tell you for a fact that uh, both Hawk and Animal hated that dummy. And, uh, and Ellering, I, I can't imagine, was thrilled either. And uh, as the story goes, that uh, Rocco ended up in a trash can somewhere in England after, that, uh, after SummerSlam 92 and never to be seen again. But uh, it was. It was just awful. There was no point to it. I still, to this day, do not understand what the hell Vince McMahon was thinking other than uh, he had something going on with LOD and wanted to, uh, you know, weaken their characters. I mean, that what else could it have done? That uh, they had some connection. Here, the toughest guys on the on the planet have some weakness for a wooden dummy uh, that they find in the rubble. Uh, it just made no sense. And I, 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 if somebody can argue the point from the other side, I'd love to hear it because it made. No sense. No sense whatsoever. Uh, we continue to see the push for Ico Pro. And if you know the story, that's, uh, you know, Vince really wanted to be the Joe Weider of uh, bodybuilding and had uh, brought in all these guys that were bodybuilders. He was going to have events and pay-per-views. And his idea was he was going to give these guys all characters and it wasn't as though Vince was thinking he was going to make a lot of money from these pay-per-views. And the whole uh, point of it was to get into the supplement business. And that's where, you know, Weeder and, um, you know, the companies that he had made their money. Now, it wasn't from the magazines. It wasn't from the events they had. It was from the supplements that they did that people would pay, you know, a lot of money for. And it was a mail-order business uh, before we had Amazon or anything like that. And uh, Weeder made millions. Well, Vince 
thought, you know, he always thought he could do it better. And that was the whole idea behind IcoPro and brought in all these experts and, uh, you know, developed the line of supplements and, and merch for it. And uh, that was what they were going to do. And he paid, actually put these guys under contract. That was the beginning of, uh, of the end, I think, at least for, uh, you know, the boys wanting to help Vince push this product because they weren't under contract. And these guys were getting all this money, some of them, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to basically work out, which these guys had to find a gym wherever all these cities that travel all over the country and the world. Uh, these guys were getting paid just to go to a gym and work out and then and then pose. And, uh, you know, that was Vince's vision, that these guys would be, you know, the, the faces behind the uh, Ico Pro. And so he had quite a few of them. I don't know, it was like 12, 14 guys. Uh, and he would give them characters, uh, when they did that that pay-per-view finally, and all of them had, you know, some kind of gimmick, and it was just awful, just awful, and it was uh, it was doomed. Uh, I don't know the exact number of, uh, of dollars that ended up uh, being lost in that venture, but it had to be well into the millions. There's no, no question about it. And I always have hoped to, to try and do a show on that with uh, Gary Stridham and really just talk about what uh, that whole period was like. But uh, just a fascinating period of history from the WWF uh, with Vince and Titan Sports at the time. But uh, anyway, that that dominated these shows. We had Ico Pro for everything. And then you saw also there a a show, WBF Body Stars, which was kind of a lifestyle show. And I think the the original um, intent with that was to not only be able to have this vehicle to push the Ico Pro and that kind of thing, but also it was going to be like, Workouts of the rich and famous kind of a thing, fitness. Uh, yeah, but that uh, that didn't work so well either. Anyway, uh, but it was fun. Fun to see Undertaker uh, anytime. In the early days, I loved seeing the stuff when he was really uh, in his early days of that character and coming into his own. And uh, also, uh, you know, some of the other things, that the, the gimmicks they had, uh, some of these guys doing with Tito Santana and El Matador and Tatanka. And, uh, you know, and nails, God, uh, you know, wish I wish I would have seen how that would have come, uh, you know, if it had lasted, where that might have gone. So there you have it. Uh, that was, uh, you know, another episode of WWF Superstars, that from July 11th, 1992, that was uh, taped um, at the Cops Coliseum in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. We'd go up there and, and do these shows up there. It was a, kind of a, a connection that they had with the, um, organizations uh, in with Jack Tunney and the organizations there, and so they would do you know tapings up there to be able to um, you know have the the, uh, the fans up there get a chance to see the World Wrestling Federation and all its superstars. Uh, before we check out of here, I do want to make an announcement here uh, for anyone who is one, uh, a member of our, our Patreon. Um, you know, we, we uh, months back, we decided to uh, cut back on the tiers uh, because we just weren't able to keep up with all of the, uh, the uh, what was uh, what went along with those tiers. So we cut it back down to just the four ninety nine a month where you get the, the uh, all the content that we put out there, Monday, Wednesdays, and Saturdays, um, you know, early and ad-free. And uh, I thought, okay, that would be great. We'll probably get a lot more people because, the, you know, the price will be much lower. Well, that isn't what happened. And unfortunately, uh, we, we lost a lot of people. And, uh, you know, Casey and Evan, who work on this show, 
uh, of really uh, kind of the lifeblood of keeping this uh, program going and all that we do, that's extra work for them. And, and uh, I just got to the point now where I just feel it's just not worth the, the effort for them to, to have to do that. And, uh, and it's not fair to you either if we, we can't deliver it. So I, I just want to get the word out to everybody who is a Patreon member uh, that as of June 1st, uh, the beginning of June, we are uh, shutting down the Patreon memberships. So what that means for you is if you're a Patreon member of uh, Primetime with Sean Mooney, please cancel as soon as possible so you don't get charged another month. Uh, cancel your Patreon membership uh, immediately. Uh, if you have any issues uh, when, uh, when, if, if you get into the month, let me know. So and you can and email me at primetimemooney at gmail.com. That's primetimemooney at gmail.com. And again, I just want to let everybody, let everybody know who's a Patreon member of Primetime with Sean Mooney. We're shutting it down as of uh, June 1st. So please cancel your Patreon membership uh, as soon as possible, okay? And like I said, if you have any issues, just let me know, okay? All right, so uh, there you have it. Uh, we'll have another uh, Network Classic again uh, next week, but uh, we've got a great episode of Primetime with Sean Mooney this Wednesday. We're going to be talking with Patricia Summerland, and that name may not ring a bell, but uh, maybe if I say... Um, Sunny, uh, the California girl, she was a member of Glow. Remember the Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling, the original Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling? This uh, was a program that aired back in the 80s from uh, uh, 1986 until 1990. And uh, they really, they, they were, that show was really, really popular. And it was one of the first uh, shows that featured just women, professional women wrestlers, where they had, you know, these gimmicks and it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek show. They did skits and, uh, you know, it was all scripted and they wrestled also. And it be it was very popular for a while there. And uh, Patricia Summerland was one of those cast members. She w- didn't start with the original cast, but she uh, came in around, I think, season three. And she just got uh, some great stories to tell about what was going on at the time and what they went through. Uh, to uh, be able to be a part of that show. And uh, so be sure and catch it this Wednesday, uh, PTSM, uh, the version uh, this Wednesday. And, of course, it will drop at uh, 6 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, for our Patreon members, I just want to let you know that uh, we will be early and ad-free for you, like I said, through the end of the month. So uh, this Wednesday, you can count on that. And then, of course, on uh, Saturday, we bring out uh, a vault episode. That will also drop at 6 a.m. Eastern time. But, but there you go. But don't miss that this uh, this week. It's a, it's a great one. Okay? All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that Network Classic. We'll have more coming. Another one, of course, next week. Uh, in the meantime, thanks for listening. I'm Sean Mooney, and I 